0: hey this is randall foster from symphonic distribution you are listening to your morning coffee the podcast with my friends jay gilbert and mike etchart weekly music news for the new music business from jesse kirschbaum 2023 music industry predictions From Complete Music Update, the music business review of the year 2022. From Pitchfork, confronting music's mental health crisis.
1: And from Randall Foster, what is your purpose? Yes, what is your purpose? What is my purpose? Well, my purpose is to start the show. And this is our year-end episode. My goodness, we are wrapping up 2022. We are glad you are here and with that, let us start the podcast right about now.
0: Stand by for transmission.
1: This is London Coffee. Wake
0: up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. On
1: the On the air.
0: Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart.
1: Jay, how did this year go so fast? That's what I want to know. It
0: really did, didn't it?
1: Oh, I look in the mirror and go what is my dad doing looking back at me and uh i realize with the lines on my face the years are adding up but man this year just blew by unbelievable
0: yeah it really did i think we have a warped perception of time uh, with the uh, pandemic and all of the uh, you know the lockdown and just all of that um, it's just, it's really twisted the way I look at the last few years. Yes. And, uh, yeah, time is going by very, very quickly. It really
1: is. And, uh, and as they say too, the older you get, the more or the the lesser percentage a year is of your life. And therefore it feels faster the older you get. And as I mentioned, when I look in the mirror, I am getting older, Jay. I hate to admit it, but I am getting older. And so these years just blow on by. And there was so much news. So many things happened this year that we covered and talked about. And um, it was just a a remarkable year. And of course, with the onslaught of tours, it was a year, at least for me, and I think for you too, I saw more darn shows than I have in ages. And it was great. It was fantastic.
0: Yeah, Yeah. you know when you when something's taken away from you you appreciate it yes. a little bit more right yes. and when live shows got taken away from us um, yeah, we had some live streams and some of them were amazing, but it's not the same thing. And now that we're back to live music again, I think we appreciate it a little bit more.
1: Yes, I think we do. And uh, your the the year end version of uh, of the of the uh, newsletter was fantastic. There's just some great stuff in there. And it's too, there's I mean, when I was looking at everything and I started reading the different articles, it's Again, it is chock full of stuff that that you have to check out, including a fascinating article on Ticketmaster. Uh, Yeah. Really good stuff. So uh, Yeah, and and I
0: didn't put that Ticketmaster thing too high up. I don't want to draw too much attention to it because, um, well, actually, I saw a piece that Bob Lefsetz had written about that piece. Mm -hmm. And while some of it is accurate, uh, some of it, you know. Conjecture. I don't know. It's yeah it can be it can be challenged and i didn't want to start that debate all over again um, but i do think it's an interesting read um one of the things that happened this last week which you and i were thrilled about was that variety magazine uh listed our humble podcast as uh, one of the 10 best music business podcasts so thank you to roy Traken yeah. um and shirley halpern and the great team over there at variety we were honored and humbled and surprised and thought that was just really cool flattered indeed
1: and as we have said uh, not relating to this at all but it, it, the the coverage of the music industry the variety does now is just fantastic it is an absolute go-to resource for both of us and uh, we yeah. really really appreciate that and are humbled by the uh, by that inclusion in that list very kind of them
0: yeah. Thank you.
1: Yes. And I got to say, uh, I know you're uh, behind the set List podcast drop with Chris Isaac and, uh, Oh yeah. What a cool guy yeah. he is, isn't he?
0: He really is. And I've always liked Chris Isaac. Um, I, I had such a great conversation with him. Glenn and I did. Uh, he's funny. He's like wicked smart. Yes, he is. He's is. he got a wicked sense of humor and he's just got this experience about him and there's just something very comforting about listening to him talk about Christmas music. And I think we grew up on a lot of the same Christmas music, you know, the, the Burl Ives of the world, you know, and the, the Vince Garaldi and the peanuts Christmas and all of that stuff. And it was just a fun, fun conversation. So um, if you get a chance, it just dropped um, behind the set list with uh, Chris Isaac uh, fun, fun interview. Well, Thanks for And, and
1: we were talking about, uh, before we hit play again, um, I, I was in the Warner family at the time when both that Chris Isaac record with Wicked Game and um, the Katie Lang record came out The uh, that mm. Greg Penny produced. And those were both, uh, there were so many fans of both of those artists inside the building. Oh, yeah. And that was my first yeah. real experience of watching... Uh, or seeing just kind of the commitment to artistry and the commitment to those artists. And prior to that, they had had lots of, com- uh, not, not a lot of commercial success, they had a lot of, of uh, you know, kind of success in terms of, uh, reviews and and other musicians being fans, but they weren't selling big records. Um, but boy, the Warner team just but they stuck with they it. Stuck right, stuck with it. Absolutely, They stuck with it. And 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 you know and and well into and I saw that with Faith No More too. That band uh, the the that was on the label at the time. And so you know you really get a chance back in those days of of seeing the Warner commitment to artistry and to sticking with artists and waiting for that magic. And when it does come, kind of really lining up all the things that need to happen and pushing the button, you know, and, uh, yeah. Patience, 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 yeah. which we don't see. Yeah.
0: Because later. they were a lot more than their big singles at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, Kate, Katie, Lang had constant craving and, um, but she was so much more than that. And just like, uh, Chris Isaac, they were kind of critics, darlings, yes. you know, they really, and then they were also in the industry. Um, people really took note of both of them. And I know with Chris Isaac, like, you know, he, played with, uh, or at least got to jam with, you know, Roy Orbison and Johnny Cash and people like that. Oh, those Yeah, you don't get too big, uh, too much bigger of a compliment than that. No, 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 no. Pretty sweet, pretty sweet. By
1: the way, Jay, as we wrap up this, this year's show, we must, 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 must thank our sponsors. Boy, we are so appreciative of having them, and uh, it doesn't get better than the folks that we have helping us with the show every week, including... Bandzoogle built by musicians for musicians Bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music all the features you need for a professional website are already built in hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners could jump over to bandzugle.com and try it free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE.
0: Yes, sir, and we're also brought to you by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music business, And the trends and technologies that are all changing how the uh, music is discovered, consumed, marketed, monetized. It's edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla. Hypebot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by Live Music Discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. And just really quickly, I wanted to mention, um, Bruce did a story uh, about you and me this last week uh, where we share our favorite Your Morning Podcast episodes of 2022. And uh, those episodes, just really quickly, we, we talked about the Merc- Mercuriatus mm-hmm. episode, the uh, Will Page uh, episode, and then one that was one of my personal favorites was when I visited Colorado State, and uh, they surprised me by uh, greeting me by, you know, reciting the... Uh, Intro. intro to our podcast love in that. unison. So love that. thank you for a great year, uh, Bruce, and everybody over at Hypot.
1: Yes, indeed. And by the way, Bands in Town, over 74 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist service platform connecting over 560,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms.
0: Yes. And finally, the Music Business Association, you know, for more than six decades, the Music Biz Conference has been the point of origin for inspiration, collaboration in the music business. So join us in Nashville, May 15 through 18. Yes, indeed. By the way, the Music Business Association, bands who go hype bot and
1: bands in town. Big thanks. And uh we certainly appreciated it, and I appreciate my brother, Jay Gilbert, because we. this is episode number 124. It's essentially 124 lunches wow. that we've recorded, because <laughs> these things, this, <laughs> crazy. this is what our lunches were like when we used to get together before we did a right. podcast. But if you don't know Jay, well, you better know Jay. He's a music industry consultant. He's the curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music Groups, and Fox Home Entertainment.
0: And my handsome co-host over here is Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Groups. Indeed, 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 indeed. Well, Jay, what do you say we jump into some of these wonderful well, stories? Wait, we, before we do, yes. you had oh, told me about a really about. cool documentary, yes. and I watched it, and I wanted to talk about it just for a couple of minutes yes. because... You are you are my go to guy <laughs> when it comes to document. You always have been, um, and whenever you tell me about one, I always watch it. And this one was so much better than I thought it was going to be because you think with some of these things that maybe you've seen it all, and this one is how Abbey Road Studios. Uh, let's see, the the documentary is called "If These Walls Could Sing," mm-hmm. and there was a billboard piece that talks about how it came together, and that kind of just. Wet my appetite for it, but what did you think? I mean, it just when you think you've seen it all, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It was a great document. It's on Disney Plus, by the way, and it was put together. I don't know if the director or, or Mary McCartney was involved, Paul's, Paul's daughter, and uh, who's also yeah. a photographer like her mom was. And there's a great picture they show of her uh, basically on a blanket as like about a six or eight month old baby. You Toddler. They're being right. at, the, at the studio. And of course, you know, she grew up there and, you know, it's it was really fascinating. And yeah, they do a great deep dive on the history of the studio. And of course, it was called EMI Studios until 1973. But everybody referred to it as Abbey Road because it's on Abbey Road, three Abbey Road. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and it just kind of shows the history from emi and and all the great acts that have been there. and then long conversations with, uh with with Paul McCartney and Roger Waters and Shirley Bassey and lots of different artists over the years that have recorded there and all just the magic of that place and it's fascinating.
0: Yeah, you know my my favorite quote was when they were talking to Paul Paul McCartney about, you know, why he chose even after the Beatles when he was doing his solo stuff, why he he recorded at other studios from time to time, but he would always go back to Abbey Road and he said all the microphones work. (laughs) (laughs) He said, that's not really true everywhere else. That's right. And, you know, when you see uh, Roger Waters talking about, you know, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, or, you know, the guys from Oasis, you know, and it's it's not just pop and rock. In fact, it really didn't start out that way at all. It's classical, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Direct to disc and some jazz. And, you know, Elton John did uh, some early sessions there. And I think you were telling me a funny story about... uh, Elton, when I told you that I had forgotten that he played uh, piano on the Hollies, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. Yes, he did. And also
1: on Bang a Gong uh, by T-Rex.
0: T-Rex. Yeah, and and he would, and Greg Penny told
1: me this, that 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 Elton would just, there's like a cafe or a pub across the street, and he would just go there every day and sit there, because they all the engineers and producers knew he was there. So if they needed a piano player on short notice somebody would walk across the street and say, hey, we got a session for you. And he'd, he'd come over and, and play on it. And... Um yeah, and he's of course featured in it, talking about you know the magic of that place. And uh, and what's interesting is there's still a handful of people there that have been there for the last forty five years. And isn't that crazy? Yeah. And they have you know well, you and I you and were know, talking. We're
0: cool. gonna we're gonna go over yeah, there sometime. We,
1: we that that is Mecca truly to, to us to go to there to go over there and check it out. So yeah. we hope to. Uh, so yeah, if you if you get a moment, uh, folks, check it out. It is on Disney Plus, and it is well worth the hour and a half time to watch it. It's really interesting.
0: And, yeah, once again, it's called if these walls could sing mm-hmm. and the last thing i'll say on it is uh one part that i i i didn't know before i saw the documentary was that uh, paul explained that part of the capital contract uh, that they signed for a recording um gave them limited or i'm sorry limitless recording time Yes, and so <laughs> they could come and go as they pleased and you know a lot of artists don't have that and when you couple that with a great producer a band that is ridiculously talented, not only as musicians, but as world-class songwriters, and then you give them this unlimited canvas to paint on, now I think we understand how some of these things were made.
1: Absolutely. And by the way, on a, we, we talked last week about the Bono book, which I, I I am halfway through right now. So that is a great book. And if if any of you are sitting around uh, looking for a, a cool book to
0: read, that is are, a good one. Are you reading the physical book or are you listening to the audio book? I'm reading the physical book, yes. And then I'm going to go back okay, and do the audio
1: I, book afterwards.
0: Yeah, it's a whole different experience. Um, the, the, the audio book, because... It's every chapter is based on a song and it's and he's doing a different version of those songs. I hope they put that out as an album or something. But I, I love audio books, always have. Um, but I think you're you're really going to enjoy the audiobook, especially after reading the, the yeah. physical book, because it just takes on a whole new meaning. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah absolutely. So, OK, now we're going to get into the stories. What do you say, Jay? <laughs> yes the first one is from uh jesse kirschbaum uh 2023 music industry projections and it's in two parts so uh <laughs> it's really well
0: one one is kind of a, a recap of 2022 mm-hmm. i think let me look at this really quickly it's uh music business review yeah the first one is a music business review of 2022 mm-hmm. and actually you know what I'm looking at the next story. I'm, I'm skipping ahead. So 2023 music industry projections. Let's just jump in. Um, Jesse runs this really cool site. If you haven't checked it out called beats and bytes, B Y T E S beats and Bites. And they, they've got all sorts of great coverage, uh, that we look to all the time. And we've run this before in your morning coffee. And, and there are a few things that, uh, he says, here are some key trends that we saw from the year. And one, the first one is a hundred thousand songs a day, you know, in a world where there's this much content dropping, the curators are almost more important than the creatives. Mm. Uh, that was a bold statement. Mm-hmm. And, but he's not wrong. You know, consistency is now the primary game in town. And that's something that you had mentioned, you know, in our pregame when we were just talking about life, love and the pursuit of happiness that today, whether it's streaming, TikTok, whatever it is, you brought it up. Consistency yeah. is now that—that's the key. Absolutely, sticking with it without a doubt.
1: Uh, he also mentioned TikTokification. The same way MTV impacted the radio star, TikTok impacted the pop star. Songs are getting shorter. Yeah. Bridges have all but disappeared. Bridges have all but disappeared. Advertising campaigns are incorporating dances, and Gen Z is getting its news on TikTok. Culture is being shifted by this platform for better or worse. And boy, we're going to be talking about TikTok for sure. We're all into 2023.
0: Yeah. And we've been talking about that a lot, you know, that there, all those deals are coming due uh, or, you know, they're going to be renegotiated soon between TikTok and the majors. They're happening right now and that's going to be key. And, you know, we have to balance that promotion versus the commerce uh, that they generate, I think they generated like something like 12 billion in the last year. So it's, it's a real thing. (laughs) The next one is the end of the genre. Um, Songs are now categorized by vibes and moods. So true. Genre bending is the status quo and the artist's ability to create a movement is more important than their stylistic choices. And I still think that we're in this old world mentality, you know, like radio where it has to be Mm -hmm. siloed that this is R and B or you listen to jazz, but then there are these, you know, these playlists we talk about like pollen and some of these that are really starting to be more based on either a genre or less on a genre and more on a mood or on a demographic. So I, I think he's absolutely right. You know, that not only is that kind of what's been happening in this last year, but we're going to see more of it in 2023.
1: Right. Of course, he also mentions the year of bad bunny and global superstars. And of course we, we started talking about bad bunny earlier this year, which led us to our friend Bruno Del Granado down in uh, Miami. Uh, As he says here, big artists need to be global now not just big in America and Bad Bunny is the prime example marketing your campaign yeah. globally is the whole shebang 10 years ago top 5 superstars generated 15% of Warner's revenue now the majority of money is coming from being a truly global entertainment cover company operating in over 70 countries for the superstars yeah. it's no longer a hits business it's a global business, and for the rest of the it industry, it really is. Yeah, so much uh, similar. Uh, similar. It's not so much about hits, but focusing on fandom and the many ancillary revenue streams that being an artist can provide. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. I think the industry is now looking and understanding how huge uh, Latin music is, for example, and we know about you know K-pop, but that's just scratching the surface. It's more of a global world today. Um, and then coming back to the regional angle, uh, the next point is city to city marketing. Uh, if you're not going global, you better be going hyper regional. He says, you know, scenes, uh, what does it say? Scenes are back, baby. Um, how you run a marketing campaign is cl- in Cleveland is different than how you run one in LA or Paris. And that's, that's really true. One of the first things we talk about when we're looking to set up and a release cycle, is who's the audience? We got to find your tribe. You may know who your tribe is. Maybe you don't. Who do you want your audience to be and who is it? And it it can be just hyper regional, but to get back to that that last point, once you've had some degree of success, we can see how it is that global marketplace today more than any other time that I can remember.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He also mentions, again, looking this is more looking back than looking forward, but uh, live streaming consolidation, live streaming content and commerce are sure shots in in his mind, he says. It's just a matter of time. A lot of indies tried to stand up brands during the pandemic, but as the dust settles, it's clear the big companies are taking control and building out the live streaming industry. And you, yeah. you, you've talked about this a lot uh, during when we were in the pandemic, how... How, how important it is for artists to understand that, especially when there was no touring around and that live streaming things changed. It was a super
0: positive thing for many artists. So, yeah, for sure. It, it really was. And there was actually some that made some revenue from it. Um, the next one is Web3 is building the future. Um, Web3 is gaining ground in music and will enhance all facets of the business. Just as it did during the first two major online evolutions merch fan clubs ticketing direct to consumer relationships pricing royalty payments and content creation itself are being affected and I think that's true um, but it's not lived up to the hype yeah. yet and the folks that I know in the space um, they're doing some really interesting things with tying physical and digital together and you know looking at virtual worlds and and all of these things, but, you know, there's a lot of hype around it too. And I think part of that was that whole NFT gold rush and the confusion surrounding a lot of, you know, is that, you know, does the emperor really have any clothes on? So I think Web3, that the underlying technology behind, you know, Web3, you know, whether it's digital collectibles or DAOs or, you know, any of these things, I think that's solid, you know, that blockchain, if, if that's involved in, in what you're doing there. I think there's some really great uh, platforms and services coming out right now that are really going to help the music industry. Um, But it's evolving. It's evolving. That's right. Uh, One of the next ones he talks about, virtual performers,
1: events, and merch. So much happening in the virtual space, it's hard to tell what's most promising. And he mentions he's most excited about brands bridging the gap between the metaverse and the physical world with products and performances. Avatars are on stage at Rolling Loud. NFT companies are making sneakers. And it's starting to feel the good kind of weird. Well, there you go. (laughs) (laughs)
0: the next one is nostalgic brand building 2022 was big on nostalgia, you know, from when, uh, when we were young festival being a hit uh, to the revival of brands like Winamp, uh, Napster and LimeWire, you know, for the web three era this year, nostalgia went from a powerful marketing tactic to a great way to launch and build a new brand. And and we've seen some of these, you know, nostalgic brands kind of uh, come back in one form or another. And it's, for me, it's always kind of uh, refreshing to kind of and, and comforting to see some of those names come back.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: he says AI is
1: finally having a moment. He says it's flooding culture. Lens has got some problems, but it's following the in- uh, but but pro- it, it's proving the interest is there. He says, I'm waiting for a robot to have a hit in 2023. It feels inevitable.
0: by the way speaking of ai um have you heard of uh that chat gpt yet have you ever played with that you you told me about it but i haven't i haven't tried it out yet but you said it's fantastic when you you get a chance oh my gosh it's not just artificial intelligence it's this whole next wave of technology where think of it this way when you sign up for chat gpt it's free um and you can get in on this kind of test and then, you know, ask it to write you a story or ask you to explain something to you um, about music publishing or about politics or whatever it is. It's not going on the web and finding stuff and pulling it back for you. It's got this knowledge base from pulling information that it actually creates a unique answer for you. And it's fast and it's really really cool and they do have some guardrails on there so you're not going to ask it how to build a bomb or do you know something you know <laughs> bad yes but i was um, i had heard about it i got on a plane a while back and and i played with it a little bit and i was just stunned at how good it really is now uh, there there are some disclaimers it's not 100% accurate so there are people who have you know written papers for school projects with chat GPT. There are people that were doing a story on the news the other night and the whole newscast was written by chat GPT. Wow. And you would never know it. I mean, it was flawless. So anyway, as we were talking about artificial intelligence, AI, um, I just wanted to recommend for our audience to kind of get out and uh, and take a look at that. Um, jumping over to you know, kind of the second part of this, um, where Jesse really goes into you know, some really interesting trends that he saw in 2022, like web, what he calls web 2.5. He said web three isn't ready for prime time. We'll see more cases and more intermediary steps, digital collectibles, fan club communities, digital ticketing, you know, AR and VR metaverse, all this kind of stuff, you know, on the blockchain. And for a lot of listeners, they're gonna their eyes are going to gloss over and they're just going to go, you know, what the hell are you talking about? Don't feel stupid if you don't know a lot of this stuff. It's been around about a week and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all just learning about it. Think of, you know, Web3 or, you know, some of these things as, you know, think of it like on the virtual side where it's not a physical thing. It's like, you know, you're playing a game and it's a virtual world and you have an avatar and you can buy clothes for it or you know, um, you have a digital collectible that may or may not be attached to something that's physical, you know, it's not as scary as you think it is, but as my grandfather always said, you know, an idiot is someone who doesn't know what you just found out. Mm -hmm. Right. So don't fall for the hype. Don't feel stupid. If you don't know this stuff, you know, there's, you can Google a lot of it, but it's, it's in its infancy right now. And it's just, you know, it's just, we're just trying to figure out how we're going to make this a part of the music industry. Yeah,
1: One of his predictions, not surprisingly is Twitter dies in the court of public appeal. He mentions that he's sick of the toxicity of Twitter and he's saying it just doesn't feel good on the platform right now. And he thinks there's a better home for our concert our our conversation. And, uh, he, thinks ma- maker, he thinks feeling music taste He thinks feeling music taste makers are going to help scale the new short form news and messaging platforms. May your last tweet be your best one. So that is going to be interesting yeah. to see what happens with Twitter over the next year.
0: It does. It does feel like there's a change. And remember, there was a time not that long ago when MySpace was the king of the mm-hmm. hill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it seems like a long, long time ago, it really wasn't. And the, the, some of these things are cyclical. And just because you're the big dog on campus, like there was a time again, not that long ago when downloads were a major part of the music industry downloads. And it was iTunes. And I couldn't imagine at that point of, you know, because of the evolution of going, you know, from ownership, you know, to access, I, I really couldn't think. Uh, ahead that that celestial jukebox that we used to talk about was going to happen as fast as it did. The next one, hip hop, 50 years old. Next year marks the 50th anniversary of the most important cultural force in our lifetimes. Uh, He says that I'm greatly indebted to hip hop and still as obsessed as ever. Hip hop's 50th will be the party of the year. All year long. Can you imagine? That's fifty, 50 years of hip hop. That
1: that doesn't seem right, to be honest. That means I was like, tw- I mean, I guess what 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 are they considering the first hip hop track? That's the question.
0: But still, A Rapper's Delight, probably. I'm guessing, be, know, yeah, early seventies. Yeah, well,
1: that would be it. That would then that would be correct. So, oh my gosh, time. As we mentioned earlier, time flies. Uh, he also mentioned Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, and Disney, dominant companies are only becoming stronger, smarter, and better equipped for the future. They're looking recession-proof, if you ask me. I'm long for all of them if they sidestep legislation and keep shaving costs. Look for Apple's Metaverse headset and marketplace to be a game-changer. We'll see,
0: you know? Yeah, we'll we'll see. uh, Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, The next one is vinyl continues to grow, and we talk about this a lot. We see it a lot. It's still happening. There's still capacity issues um a friend of mine was was telling me that one of the things that really drags down that capacity is just everybody wants a color variant today yes. and they want multiple color mm-hmm. variants for one release and when you do that you have to break down the machines clean them takes more time so vinyl continues to grow in a digital first world physical continues to grow in relevance Uh, He says, I'm getting deeper into vinyl and I think others will too. And don't forget about CDs. You know, I was talking to Terry Courier from Music Millennium, not that long ago. um, And he was telling me that, you know, they're still doing a lot on, uh, you know, with CDs and it may not be the whole driver, but since there is this um, scarcity with a lot of vinyl today that some people will come into his store and say, I want this vinyl piece, Oh, it's not available. I'll take the CD. Yeah. As crazy as that sounds, right?
1: Yeah, and even in the on the collectible side, you know, there's still a lot of stuff that hasn't made it over to streaming. And just like there wasn't, there's a lot of stuff that didn't make it from vinyl to CD. And so there's still a fair amount of things that you can only get on CD. And uh, and so I still, yeah, I still have, you know, although we were both mentioning that we we need to update our CD playback systems in our homes, uh, which <laughs> doesn't doesn't get a lot of use so much these days. But uh, one of the things that this next piece. Uh, here's next point, I should say. Vintage marketplace. Vintage collectibles in the physical form lend themselves to the blockchain in a very smart way. I think we'll begin to track the sale and value of these items, and all of a sudden, we'll have our own marketplace of cool stuff. Think, think MySpace yeah. meets Facebook marketplace. But I can tell you over the... You know, I kind of pay attention to vintage guitars and kind of vintage old musical sure. instruments, and that stuff has just skyrocketed in price since the pandemic. So... I think this kind of these kind of things, collectibles are physical collectibles are still hot without a doubt.
0: Yeah, I agree. One of the points he had in here, which I thought was really interesting, is marketing creators with more creators creating marketing services become more important than ever. Uh, There's a hole in the market in how to get creators and musicians off the ground. He says I'd expect an agency platform or suite of services to emerge to fill this void because breaking through the noise is such a pain point. And that's really what I do in my consulting, what I do with my company Label Logic is a lot of that and it's a whole new world today. You know, we talk about there's a hundred thousand tracks uploaded on average uh, every day. How do you rise above that clutter? Mm-hmm. How do you, you know, uh, reach and grow an audience? That's the challenge, and it's different for every artist, and not only every artist, but every release. You have to sit down and look at who that audience is, how how you're going to reach them. And what you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, that consistency is key to all of this. But I thought that uh, that was a good point.
1: Yeah. And I don't think he's talking about us, but it sort of applies to us in this next one, Jay. Newsletters and podcasts merge. He says, this might be a hope or need, but there are so many great podcasts and newsletters now that somebody has to bring them together. How nice would it be to have every article available as an audio version and every newsletter to have podcast audio as well? This is the future of content. Read along or listen at two times the speed. Whoever figures out how to create this click to listen button will win the newsletter and podcast game.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think we're part of the way there. Yeah, the you way. Know, that we, we, we have this podcast that really um, breaks down and talks about the newsletter. The part that's missing is not fully missing. And that is that I'm seeing a lot more articles that have a button next to it where you can listen. Yeah to the article. And there's two types of audio that I, I hear. One is where you have the author just reading the article and that's rare, but it's, it's really amazing when they do it. The other one is really more of kind of that computer generated, you know, audio of text. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely.
1: So a lot of great stuff here. Um, things to talk about and think about and You know, we've got a glimpse of it. We certainly have a glimpse of it this last year, and it's going to be interesting to see where we head next year. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Yeah, and thanks
0: to uh, Jesse Kirschbaum for for that really cool piece. Absolutely. Uh, Lots of great insights in there. And and check out Beats and Bytes, Um, a really great site. For sure. For sure. Uh, the next article from a
1: Complete Music Update, the music business review of the year 2022. Looking back. And uh, yeah. this is a very in-depth and interesting article. Um, and this is a great, yeah, I mean, we great could, website.
0: Yeah, we could spend a lot of time on this. So, you know, we'll just go for some of the highlights. But this was written by uh, Chris Cook and uh, Andy Matt over there at uh, complete music update and, and, uh, and I'll kick it off with the first one is really the economics of streaming. And this is one of the most important ones, you know, in this kind of two piece uh, yeah. article is that, you know, in his annual review of wider music rights sector, Will Page, our, uh, our friend, uh, declared that, uh, this year in music quote, music copyright has never had it so good. End quote. You know, after his study estimated that global revenues for the recorded music industry and music publishing sector in 2021 reached almost $40 billion, you know, on the back of the ongoing streaming boom. Yeah. That's, um, that's a lot of money pretty soon, but again, you
1: know, it's, um, you know, there's, just, there's still it, it's still tough to make money uh, with streaming uh, if you're an artist, unless you're the the, the very few at the top. Um, but it's fascinating how it, it was really good news this year that the the revenues will be increasing. And I think that's probably one of the things that we, I know we're most excited about as we head out of 2022 into 2023. Uh, they also talk about the live industry. No secret that the COVID pandemic was catastrophic for live music, uh, which was pretty much shut down for 18 months. And while full capacity shows did return in some countries in late 2021... Uh, It really got rolling in 2022. Live Nation, the biggest uh, music company in the world, was even more upbeat. It told investors in November that ticket sales for concerts this year were up 34% for the quarter. And now stand at over 115 million tickets sold for shows this year. Up 37% from this point in 2019. A lot of excitement, a lot of bands out there, but you know, as we've also kind of talked about because of that. And and when you look at the inflation and how expensive it is to keep groups on the road, a lot of bands decided to stay home. And, um, that's hopefully going to be, the the inflation will be easing next year, but we've got a full winter of potential COVID variants. So it's going to be interesting to see how things roll out as we head into the spring.
0: Yeah. It's been a challenge and, um, I want to go through a couple more of these points here, but there's a piece from Pitchfork that we're going to be covering in a minute. And it dives a little bit deeper Mm -hmm. into just how the economics of touring is not only is it challenging on a financial level, but it's it's challenging on a mental health level as well. But we'll we'll get to that in a second. The third one here is song theft lawsuits. And we saw a bunch of these, you know, in in the last uh, year or so you know, the uh, the big one, the blurred lines ruling in the US, you know, in 2015 concluded, you know, that Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams did infringe on the copyright of the Marvin Gaye track, you know, got to give it up. Well, that kind of set the stage, mm-hmm. you know, for what came later, you know, Ed Sheeran was accused of ripping off a track called O.Y. by Sammy Chokri uh, when writing his 2017 release, Shape of You, you know, but the track was supposedly ripped off, you know, it wasn't that well known. And the fact that it was available to stream, you know, that maybe was that enough of a claim, you know, for the defendants ha- had across earlier work before writing their songs? Hmm, secondly, you know, if, as is often the case, the element shared by the newer song and the older song is a relatively short and pretty common musical segment, you know, and, and we're seeing that too. You know uh can that allegedly borrowed element be protected protected uh, by copyright isolation and really the last thing i'll say on this copyright thing is you know it's really sort of settled down um we have seen a few of these things like the you know the taylor swift shake it off you know which was recently settled um but hopefully, this is an area that we're going to see a little bit less of.
1: Yeah, this next one too was interesting. Interpolation, and what a what a uh, and I wasn't. I and mean, I know the word, but I. I, I don't associate it with with this thing, which is as he's goes, goes on to say. If you've noticed to any amount of pop radio in the if you've listened, I should say to any amount of pop radio in the last year, you can't have failed to notice the rise of interpolation in popular music. It's the incorporation of a portion or portions of an existing song into a new one. Unlike sampling, which actually integrates part of an existing recording, interpolation is part of the songwriting process and may, for example, involve using a melody but changing lyrics creating something new, but leaving the original source recognizable.
0: Uh, yeah. And there was a ton
1: of that stuff uh, this year. And there was. Yeah. And it's... Uh, Some good stuff too. Yes. I mean, you,
0: I, I would consider the Elton John Dua Lipa yes, uh, to be an uh, interpolation as well, you know? And they they talk about why that is, and it makes a lot of sense. We're already familiar with that melody, for example. And if somebody puts new lyrics over a melody that we're already familiar with we're already halfway in love with it. Right. Sure. So there are some ways that, and, and this has been going on for decades. It's just now becoming a uh, more commonplace, especially in a short form video world, like with TikTok, where, you know, don't bore us, get to the chorus. You've got to have something <laughs> familiar and catchy right away. Yes. Yeah. 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 And you know,
1: I, and, and I wonder if we're going to see more, um, more songs being pitched for interpolation or you say a little different Yeah, you say interpolation and maybe that's the right pronunciation. I, I don't know. You
0: know, you say tomato. There you I go. Tomato. Exactly.
1: But, uh, you know, with the acquisition of catalogs, it would make sense to bring up the value of that, that that might be pitched to different artists of including certain songs. So we'll see as that rolls out, uh, over the next couple of years.
0: Yeah. And people are doing it to avoid getting sued too. Mm-hmm. So to, Your point, yes, publishers are now being a lot more assertive and aggressive about pitching things for interpolations, and that's new. Um, Last year, Paramore's uh, Haley Williams and Joshua Farrow were added as songwriters on Olivia Rodrigo's Good For You, but that was months after it came out. You know, it had been widely pointed out. That the new track bore a fairly vague similarity to Paramore's song "Misery Business," but instead of even getting into it, it's like, "Look, we're going to put you on there." Yeah. You know, they don't want to risk any kind of lawsuit or any of that. It's like, "Look, uh, we'll just share in this," and and I think that's that's interesting, and I think it could be healthy for the business as long as it doesn't get too crazy because there's only so many notes and there's only so many, you know, yeah. uh, one, four, five songs out there. That you're going to see similarities in these things. It's
1: going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the last point on here is licensing on social media. Well, yeah, of course, for the music industry, it's always been pretty clear that when brands use music and promotional videos posted to platforms like YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, they need to, to secure bespoke sync licenses because the music licensing deals secured by those social media and user upload platforms themselves only cover user-generated content. So, Mm -hmm. very interesting. Nevertheless, some brands have in the past posted videos containing music to those platforms, assuming unwisely that the YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok music licenses would apply. This year, Mm -hmm. we got clarification in the U.S. courts that those brands are wrong, and the music industry is correct, with energy drink bang being found liable for copyright infringement for failing to secure bespoke licenses for the music right. and social media videos. Uh-oh.
0: Yeah. Well, and they're also talking about influencers at mm-hmm. what at what point do you become a brand? Yeah. And that's what this article is really pointing to is that if you are an influencer and you're you're posting things, user-generated content, you're protected under certain rights. But once you become that influencer who's making Money and becoming successful, then you become a brand. And what is that tipping point? You know, I think it's a really interesting uh, conversation. You know, it says, What about influencer content? At what point does an individual user uploading videos to a social platform cease to be a user in the context of those platforms' user generated content music licenses? Arguably, in that domain, things are slightly more ambiguous. So, it it's like a lot of this stuff you know we always talk about how years ago we didn't have TikTok or we didn't have peloton or we didn't have twitch we're we're going to have to or even nfts we're going to have to develop these new rules for these new technologies and we are doing that and smart um lawyers are deeply engaged Mm -hmm. in doing that but it's a whole new music industry so we're we're going to have to you know, learn and, and move with well, it.
1: Well, and this one ends with saying the music industry is slowly making it easier to secure such licenses, including for more grassroots creators, which is great. You know, that is, that is, again, part of the process because it does take a while and it's hard to get those those licenses. And so if that process is, is smoothed out a little bit easier and faster, well, that's just more revenue for the music companies for sure. And of course, it allows people to actually use them in the proper way, which is great.
0: Right. And just really quickly, there was a part two to this article, and I just want to touch on a couple of these really quickly. Um, The first one, premium streaming, you know, so digital services where users pay a monthly fee. And that's as opposed to some of these. You know, DSPs have an ad-supported mm-hmm. where you can use the service for free in somewhat limited capacity, but you don't have to pay a monthly fee. So, premium streaming uh, streaming continues to generate by far the most income for the recording uh, industry, about forty-seven point three percent of global recorded revenues in twenty twenty-one. Um, and, and I think you're going to see a lot more of that as more people are actually subscribing yeah. and you're getting countries where traditionally they don't pay for subscriptions um, where they are. And the last thing I'll say kind of on premium streaming is that, you know, according to our friends over at Midias, Spotify accounted for around 30.5% of premium subscribers uh, in, the, in quarter two of this year with Apple Music in second place accounting for about almost 14%. Um, I think that. We're really looking at places like YouTube, and even though they do have a, you know, a premium streaming service, we all know that the regular YouTube uh, site is really the number one streaming service for music. And as Lior Cohen will tell you cheerfully that, you know, they, they contributed about $6 billion last year uh, to the music industry. Yeah.
1: I was kind of surprised, to be honest, that, that the number is, is not over 50% yet in terms of uh, premium streaming accounting, in terms of the global music revenues. Uh
0: yeah. In the US it is. Mm-hmm. In in worldwide it is not yet. Yeah. But then again, you know, streaming in the US is about eighty three percent of the business. And outside of the US I think it's closer to like sixty eight percent, give or take. Yeah. I'd have to look it up, but I think that's pretty close.
1: Yeah, interesting. Well, all great things and interesting things to kind of wrap our heads around as we head into twenty twenty three and um it but it's interesting to look back too and see kind of what 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 happened this year and what uh, what were the trends and things that were going on and will they continue and i think they will but this next one from Pitchfork super important we've talked we did another story just a week before last i think it was or yeah. not too far back uh, from Pitchfork confronting music's mental health crisis Boy.
0: yeah and this is near and dear to our heart we talk about this a lot um we've lost friends uh, to uh, mental health issues, and this is is really important. It's written by Jen Pelly uh, for Pitchfork. and you know, announcing the cancellation of her Northern American tour, they talk about Santa Gold a lot, and she shared a long statement that concluded with, "I will not continue to sacrifice myself for an industry that has become unsustainable for and uninterested in." The welfare of the artists it's built on. Um, speaking, in, you know, on a video call um, a week later, she elaborated on the overarching impact of what have become untenable demands in music: anxiety, insomnia, fatigue, vertigo, and more, and the overlapping broken system at their root. Yeah, it's it's serious. It's heavy. A lot of artists are talking about it. It's, it's tough on your mental health to have to post things in the pressure to post things on social media. It's, it's a lot of pressure to create quote unquote content um, in a short form video world. There's a lot more pressure on uh, entertainers, music, uh, songwriters, performers, and People are starting to speak out, not only Gold but even Jeff Tweedy in this piece. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you, you know, if you've
1: been worked around artists for a long time, you recognize that, you know, we, we were talking about this a little bit earlier in the, in the show where it's, you know, whether you're doing a podcast or anything, consistency is the key. You have to keep doing it. And when you, once you step onto that conveyor belt, um, there's a lot of pressure and, you know, especially when an artist hits, then the pressure is just amplified exponentially and you really, you know, it's, it's kind of that catch while well, catch can and it's burnout. It is, it, it's anxiety. It's really, really hard. Even just touring is, it's this weird bubble that you're in and, you know, you're not quite sure what city you're in and it's kind of the same thing over and over again. It's, it's Groundhog Day and it adds up. And, and I think just, overall in society in general it's it's good that we're making mental illness uh, at the forefront of the conversation and it's super yeah. important and we forget you know especially and creative types tend to be at times uh, more susceptible to this and it's uh, it, it's a, it's an issue that we will be talking about for as long as we do a podcast because it's not going yeah. away and it is a tough business and um, you yeah. know we have to be there more are a aware. lot of
0: there's a lot of mental health uh, concerns and issues and long before even the pandemic. And I I encourage people to uh, read this piece in, in pitchfork and there there are other artists that are talking about issues, but it comes back to what we just mentioned, that it's just the pressure now for constantly producing quote unquote content, um, writing, recording, you know, short form videos, socials, touring and then, you know, being out on the road and there's still, you know, uh, COVID out there. And I think it was Jeff Tweedy that's you know he was talking about that there are you know roller coaster highs of performance followed by post show lows mm-hmm. you know there's there's alcohol, there's a stress to relationships back home, reduced autonomy and loneliness and jet lag and disrupted sleep and pressures from managers and agents who are reliant on the artist's success uh, right. The cumulative effect of all of this can lead to a breaking point, so I would just. You know, put a fine point on this by saying, if you are uh, an artist, a manager, or even no matter what you do, if you're running into these pressures, seek help because there is help available and there's no shame in reaching out uh, for help.
1: Yeah, I want to read this one paragraph because this really amp- or, or exemplifies what we're talking about. It says, in a 2019 study, it found that 73% of independent music makers experience anxiety and depression in relation to their work. In 2021, the Journal of Psychiatric Research published a peer-reviewed report titled Mental Health Issues Among International Touring Professionals in the Music Industry. Based on a pre-pandemic survey, survey of about 1,200 people that showed greatly elevated rates of clinical depression and stress in comparison to the general population and levels of suicidal a suicidality that are 5 times the average of the US population musicians have historically gone wildly I would say wild, widely without health insurance but as with all of these long standing problems more research is needed but so you've got this kind of combination of so many musicians don't have health insurance and yet if you're yeah. out on the road or you're an independent artist you know it's it's hard work it's grueling it can really be taxing so we need to always yeah. be aware of this stuff
0: Absolutely. Great piece in Pitchfork. If you need help, please reach out and get help. It's out there for you. Um, As we kind of wind this down, this holiday episode, I I wanted to talk a little bit about a really interesting um, note um, that my friend Randall Foster wrote um, for his staff. And it really hit home with me. Um, he, he shared this message with me and he drew inspiration from other sources, but this, if you know, Randall, this message is, is pure Randall. And he talks about purpose. And I thought we would kind of end this episode by, by sharing this with our audience because it, it really hit home with me. Um, and it really kind of begs the question, you know What is your purpose? So the title of this piece is Purpose. Again, written by Randall Foster. Uh, he works in Nashville for Symphonic. Uh, one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, just a real down-to-earth down to guy. Um, and every time I have conversations with him, I feel better at the end of it than I did at the beginning. So I'm going to kick this thing off. And, and I hope that it kind of moves you as, as much as it moved us. Um, so Purpose. Why is it we do what we do a paycheck because it beats working construction or selling insurance? Yeah, sure. But why do we do what we do? Have you ever thought about this? What is our greatest purpose? Creators. We do it for creators. Creation is
1: as old as time, no matter the religion, Creation is an integral part of genesis, of the genesis of all. Hinduism, Taoism, Christianity, Islam, all align in this way. Creation is key to everything, and it is the beginning of all. In the beginning, God
0: created. Well, you know how the rest goes. <laughs> That's right. In our world, creation is the first verse, the first chorus, the first rhyme in a song yet to be written, a hip-hop beat that slaps this creation and those creators I would surmise are the why for many of us, we don't even think about it in that way as we're rarely part of the creation, but we are the dissemination. We spread the good news of the gospel without us. The creation is not heard. The tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, hear it, make a sound. Thus, it does not make a sound. We do it for the creators
1: Which brings us to the creator's ecosystem. There is an ecosystem that surrounds music, a finely balanced and oft unbalanced, unfair ecosystem, but an ecosystem nonetheless. Like all ecosystems, there are many symbiotic pieces of this whole, but without any one piece, the ecosystem would collapse. If you remove oxygen from Earth, all the animals, plants, and trees perish. If you remove only the trees, carbon dioxide creates an unlivable environment. In our ecosystem, if you remove any one piece, things do not work as well. The labels, publishers, managers, agents, PR, touring, bankers, marketers, and the disseminators, the distributors... This is that ecosystem, and we are as integral to it as the grass, trees, and wind are to earth. We are the wind. We spread the
0: creation, the good news of the gospel. So we show up every day. We log into our computers and tackle the Zendesk queue. We go through our HubSpot deals feverishly. We fill the details into Airtable so that marketing can be one of the best advocate possible uh, for artists and labels. We Zoom till we can't Zoom no more, all in service to our ecosystem, or to, I'm sorry, to our mission, all in the service of our role in the ecosystem and ultimately to our creators. Back to our mission. What
1: is our mission? Mission is what we do. Vision is where we want to go and values
0: are at our core. North Star of goodness,
1: our DNA.
0: Yeah, we will empower the independent music community by providing powerful technology, personalized service, access to additional revenue channels, enhanced marketing, and the industry experience to help realize full client potential. Most important words here, empower and potential.
1: Realize full potential. Simply put, we empower potential of the creators. Without us and these efforts, they struggle to succeed. We have a noble task and good task. And we expertly execute that task, our calling, our collective purpose.
0: So as you go forth from these meetings, enjoy your holiday break and come back refreshed in 2023. I beg of you, do not forget the integral role we play. Don't forget the kid dreaming to get out of their bedroom studio to have people listen to their music, their art. Don't forget the label struggling to make ends meet, but continuing to operate in vain because they're called to do so don't forget your place here and just how important you are each and every one of you in this room has changed an artist's life for the better in one way or another each of you makes an impact whether you account for royalties assist an artist with strategy lock in every elusive sync license on the big tv show or run an ad campaign that ultimately helps the artist find more fans and continues to build their career each and every one of you is integral and part of that ecosystem and that is powerful stuff. Don't ever forget that. Our mission
1: supports the creator's mission and thus creates our purpose. Always follow that North Star. Always ask yourself, am I adhering to our mission? In your decision making, as long as the answer is yes, you are moving the needle in the right direction and you, yes you, are living and working with purpose. Helping creators, which is the most incredible thing, when you really think about it, there's nothing more valuable. Uh, thank you all there for being is. here in this ecosystem for the creators. I see you and our, and I appreciate you. What lovely sentiment. And absolutely, yeah. you know, it's, it's a lot of hard work and we do it for the creators all the time. Yeah.
0: I, I thought that was so eloquently put. I hope that it moved you like it moved us. And uh, thank you, uh, Randall uh, for sharing that with us. And, uh, with that, uh, we can kind of, uh, wrap up this, uh, uh wonderful podcast. Yes. in our year
1: 2022, we do want to thank the Music Business Association, Banzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town, and my brother Jay Gilbert for, uh, helping me do this every week. And for you all for listening in, boy, Jay and I do not take it for granted. Let me tell you that for sure. So I hope everyone has a happy, uh, successful and healthy new year. And, um, we look forward to coming back in 2023 and doing this all again. So yeah. happy new year to everybody. Happy new year. And We will see you next time on the Your Morning Coffee podcast.
0: You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.